So, uh, um, so we're going to talk about it when we start recording. But did you check your email? Did you see these three emails that I sent you with pictures? Yeah, I saw that. Okay, saw good. That. Just as long as you've got them, and you'll be able to refer to them when we start talking. Ch- refresh your list, also, please, because oh. I just added something. There's a, a Navy um, drone that's crashed in Maryland. Yep. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's gonna, this is going to be good. It just this keeps a, getting better. And this was better. a, um, what was it? It's a global, yeah, it's a global hawk. Okay. Crashed out, coming out of Patuxent. Oh, one of those little bitty, honey, right. one of those little no, bitty. Wait, fuck, wait, uh, no, uh, these are big weapons no. delivering things. All right. Hold. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. That's right. And, uh, Hold that thought. We'll come back yeah, to that. Yeah, no, just just push the record button. Yeah, no, hang on a second here. I gotta, we got to talk <laughs> for a second. Refresh. Refresh. we got to talk here because we got way too much stuff here, and I need you guys refresh. to advise me on. Uh, I advise that you push the record button. We'll take care of the rest. <laughs> this won't hurt a bit. Okay. All right. We're recording. What? Tell me. You were on the podcast this week. What? Okay. So. <laughs> no, I don't want. I don't want to run anything. Oh know. yeah, right. You just but push the record button. <laughs> Jeb, what's got you all hot and bothered? Something's got you very excited well, this, this afternoon. This just hit in the news here within the last. Well, hit my desk within the last hour. Uh huh. And this is uh, a CNN story headlined: Navy drone crashes in Maryland. The dateline is Monday, June 11. Uh, they got a video of like this uh, crash scene, stuff on fire. Salisbury's over about, on the eastern shore, isn't it? Yeah, it's <clears throat> Salisbury's the eastern shore of Maryland, which puts it 50 nautical from downtown D.C. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, Does that put it inside the uh, restricted area? No, no, it's well outside. Oh, no, it's okay. – but it, it, and it's far from any vacationing beach populations. <laughs> I take it that's. I take it you're being sarcastic, huh? Yeah, he's being very sarcastic. Uh-huh. So trying this, really hard. Yeah. So what are they reporting? It, what are they saying? Fact, it is a uh, well. The um, Patuxent River is reporting an RQ four A Global Hawk drone crashed during quote a routine training flight unquote out, departing out of Pax River, Patuxent River, Maryland, Naval Air Station. Cut some things about the. Um, this this is 44 feet. This is the the uh, Global Hawk. Okay, it is 44 feet long, has a 116 foot wingspan, mm-hmm. and weighs 25,600 pounds. Boo and wah. Yeah, that's okay. heavier than anything I've ever flown. Yeah, really. Heavier than anything I've ever flown. That costs no, 100 176 million dollars a piece. And more expensive than anything I've ever flown. There you go too. There's 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 two <laughs> milestones that I won't crack either. <laughs> What's the? Uh, maybe you said this a second ago. What's the nature of the ground where it came down? Came down quote in a tributary of the Nanticoke River, according to the U.S. Coast Guard. Um, as soon as <laughs> I love this. Uh, as soon as Navy personnel lost contact with the unmanned vehicle, a piloted aircraft was dispatched to Maryland's eastern shore, where it came upon the wreckage and determined that it was unlikely anyone on the ground had been hurt, Navy officials said. Navy and, of course, the crew survived. Yeah, and of well. course, the, <laughs> the crew on both survived. That's right. I no, I got to right. figure. I got to figure the crew of this drone are in a in a quiet room someplace right now, uh, waiting to be talked to. And, and they're saying I should make the check out for how much? 
<laughs> okay, so well, we can joke about this because hopefully it's true that hopefully, nobody got hurt on the ground. No one has been injured on the ground. Yeah, um, but this is not the other thing going on here too. There's not some technology uh, test kind of thing going on. The RQ4A has been out there going on ten years. We know how to. I mean, we. I certainly don't. But the powers that be know how to run these things with some routine. And they well, just lost one within 50, well, you know, 50, 60 nautical outside D.C. Mm-hmm. It, well, they've been well, around so long. Northrop Grumman makes this puppy, and they're so far into it that they're into Block 20 production. Okay, that, right? Yeah. You know, to, uh, they, they produce them by blocks, and usually there's changes from one block. We're up to Block 20. This puppy's been around for a long time. Uh, I mean, as this technology goes, shouldn't it be considered mature by now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if this is mature technology, okay, and Thank we're you. still crashing. Thank you. What about the immature technology that everybody wants to throw into the airspace? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, yeah, okay. I'm um, Wired, uh, Wired's Danger Room blog. Uh, the headline is Navy Loses Giant Drone in Maryland Crash. Giant Drone. Giant Drone. And... Uh, <laughs> which is how some people describe this podcast, but that's another story altogether. Um, so uh, the Navy was all set to roll out its upgraded spy drone, a 44-foot behemoth. Then one of its Global Hawks crashed into an Eastland, Mer- eastern Maryland marsh on Monday. Say that three times fast. Uh, it's the latest. Which blog was that again? This is the uh, the Danger Room blog. On Wired. Wired.com slash Danger Room, one word. Yeah. Well, here's a blog I don't need. I don't need a blog to reiterate. I think what most of us think and feel at this point is that this stuff has no business in the civil civil airspace around other traffic and populated areas, except in times so in combat zones. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, last I checked, there was nothing combative about the eastern shore. Uh, of Maryland or the Delmarva Peninsula, as they call it down there. Right. But uh, now, if it was in Maryland, I'm trying to picture the geography down there. I mean, there's a bunch. Isn't it's like on, it's on the River? east side of the Chesapeake Bay. The, yeah, the east side. Shore, okay. That's the, what they call the eastern shore. Right. Okay. The, 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 somewhere between the eastern shore of the Chesapeake and the Atlantic. Right. But, but this is mainly um, eastern shore, uh, more west of the Atlantic coast. Right. Than, because than, isn't it right about that area on the western shore of the Chesapeake? Isn't that where like Pax River and a number of other military... Exactly. exactly. You know? So yeah. you got to wonder if this thing escaped or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I suddenly had a picture from the movie Chicken Run with claymation, you know, UAVs plotting their escape from radio control. Yeah. You gotta want you gotta wonder if they remove the pedo tube cover, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what the problem was. I don't know. Well obviously and, and the other the other UAVs telling them, yeah, but you know, when whenever that's happened to others, they've never come back. That's right. Yeah. No one's ever complained before. I know. I don't understand. So anyways, I don't know. Obviously, we know nothing here, but uh, it's going to be quite a juicy story over the next couple of days. You got to figure. Well, at least in aviation, well, it will be. Whether the the popular media, as I like to call it, picks it up, uh, I don't know. Yeah. So, and, and I got to differ with you, dude. Uh, there, we don't know everything, and there's a lot we don't we know. know but enough, we, <laughs> but we do know the duh that 
a yeah. mature technology American military drone escaped in civilian airspace over a part of the United States that's known to have quite a few people hang out at it and uh, went astray and crashed and burned all 20 plus thousand pounds of it. Mm-hmm. Now, to uh, our knowledge, this area of the of the Delmarva Peninsula, is this one of the areas that's been approved for drone flight in the United States? That's a good question, and I'm not sure that we'd know by asking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure we could we could determine that. Um, Pax River has associated with it various MOAs and, and restricted areas. I, I think actually they're probably all restricted areas at one, and they're layered and and uh, uh, they go active and inactive and whatnot like that. I would guess that they were using a restricted area, a hot one, uh, to get this out of the airport and in it, into the flight levels where they weren't great, you know, to mix it up with the airliners. But, uh, you know, I'm sure they had protected airspace for for some of this, especially mm-hmm. the low-level yeah. stuff, because there's plenty of it around right. Pax River. Well, you know, I mean, I was joking when I said it escaped from Pax River, well, but, you know, that's not implausible, implausible. <laughs> You know, maybe this is uh, the drone version of hand-propping the airplane, you know? <laughs> it just got away. It just got away. Well, well just got I, away I remember from it, when, I'm really sorry about this. When they brought a smaller drone to uh, uh, Oshkosh a couple of years ago. Right. I remember Jeb and I stood next to talking to the guy, and we were asking right. him, what happens right. when it gets when it escapes? And he goes, oh, it doesn't do that. It's not going to do that. There are all kinds well, but of... If, if you remember that there was this huge... Uh, undertaking to get the the drone moved there well in advance of when the airspace uh, would that's be right. busy. I remember that. You're right. Yeah, and, and it had it. It had its own escort along for the ride to, uh, to make sure that it got to Oshkosh and somebody already at Oshkosh to land it. Uh, it didn't make the trip unescorted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, a chaperone on a prom date. Uh, it, it never got out. Not never supposed to get out of sight. Uh, this apparently is changed. Apparently, they can send these well, place things up in some airspace at least, maybe, uh, without anybody really looking at it. Maybe, maybe you just maybe there was a, a, a manned airplane. Uh, in the article, you know, that article I said uh, read about earlier, confer- said a, a manned aircraft flew over the accident site and confirmed. Um, you know, it was unlikely anybody on the ground had been injured. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Uh, what if it was in formation with the drone and shot it down for some reason? Yeah, well, that's what I was just pondering. Yeah. The, the one, another a scenario like the one you just proposed is that the, the reason it crashed is because they destroyed it because it had escaped. Exactly. You know, exactly. whether they shot it down or whether it had some sort of self-destruct or I don't know what, you know, but uh, oh, this, was, this is going to be cool. And uh, yeah, this be interesting. And coincidentally, we're liable to be back with another episode relatively soon. So maybe we'll have more details in 291. But uh, Well, something to keep in mind here. I just stumbled into a not that old story from the L.A. Times uh, dated February 13th which on top of what Congress has already blessed us with in mandating the FAA start working uh, on ways to open up uh, civil airspace to drones, was a, a point from the Pentagon that it is working with the FAA to open U.S. airspace to its aircraft because, quote-unquote, they've got about 7,500 overseas that need to come home. <laughs> well, and they I can't just put them in a crate and... 
I, yeah, I'm that's C-17. kind of my thought. But apparently yeah. they want to fly some of them home. Uh, and I'm kind of going, okay, uh, yeah, I can see a way to do that. You put a C-17 up there with a controller and a backup for every one and fly them over in groups. Now, that would be a, a, a record setter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then if one got away, they'd know it right off the bat. Yeah. So here's an interesting bit of trivia for you. Uh, I've been going through some of the old episodes of Uncontrolled Airspace. I'm pulling out highlights, and we're going to do some stuff with it, I hope. Um, I was kind of surprised, quite frankly, to discover that we first talked about uh, UAVs in the national airspace in episode number three. Of you, really? yeah, really, yep. At that time, I had completely forgotten about this until I went came across it. There was a, a some former retired military guy had been quoted as saying that there was some concern about the fact that uh, it was inevitable that uh, UAVs were going to be operating in the national airspace, and what you know. And we talked about what we thought about that, and and our feeling at the time was not dissimilar to what we have these days. But uh, you know, in some regards, it feels like this has become a story in the last couple of years. But we talked about it six years ago. Uh, on uncontrolled airspace. So, anyways, well, it, it, there were already you know experimental flights going on here because of the r- rapid increase in development because of the war in the Middle East, wars in the Middle East, uh, demands for drones. It was like the up and coming uh, uh, in, in industrial nation aviation. Uh, no real certification rules, just be able to meet the request for proposal specifications with whatever you designed, and you could be in business. I remember shooting some drone-specific stuff for startups, oh, Jiminy, before I think it was the first NBAA, the second time NBAA went to uh, Vegas, maybe the first time. Yeah, Yeah, we had to go way the hell out in the desert. Uh, I mean, out past Pahrump. Uh, and yeah, I always loved the name of that place, Pahrump. Pahrump. Yeah. Okay. At any rate, yeah, you're right, Jack. Uh, it, it's it's been something that we were concerned about because it just doesn't sound like that great an idea. Yeah. Uh, six years ago, and wow, here, here we are, six years later, and yeah, evidence is kind of holding up for us. Yeah. Although I think the story six years ago said that they thought that these things would be prevalent in the airspace in a couple of years. And uh, so, you know. Well, they were in Af- Yeah, but I think they were talking about they were talking about in the U.S. airspace. You know. Depends on airspace you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so anyways. <laughs> all right. Well, now you've completely shot the uh, – by the way, I'm on to you guys, all right? You're not fooling me, all right? I know that the reason that you introduce these juicy – you know, kind of breaking you off news, your, your schedule, <laughs> breaking off news stories, because now I'm motivated to get this episode posted on the Internet as quickly as possible. Oh. Let me slap my head a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, there we go. All right. What an idea. Yeah. Well, all right. Let me come back to that in just a second. But first, I'm going to say welcome, folks, welcome, to folks. episode 290 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're getting closer and closer to 90. Close to what? Recording well, I, was in, I was yeah, I was ju- in 291 all night. Y'all just kept me up. It was it was just incredible. <laughs> I should have made a recording. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really no good background noise That's yeah right. this That's is right. this is the best seat in the house we got sky riders now we got sky riders now. 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 now does that say UCAP? i can't 
It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> and you're in sight, clear land. Turkey National Ground, good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot and Delta. We're recording this episode on Monday, June 11, 2012, and uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar are my two uh, not-as-sneaky-as-they-think-they-are friends. Uh, first of all, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you doing this afternoon? Oh, doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. Just a lovely weekend. Uh, had a good time. River Festival wrapped up. Big fireworks Saturday night. Uh, no big storms. Uh Got out to an airport yesterday and uh, hung out for a while, and uh, all in all, good in the world. Yeah. So did your did your roof end up leaking, or are you okay with the hail damage thing? Well, we're still waiting for somebody to come and take a look. Yeah. But has it rained? Is it leaking? No, it it it, it didn't leak, uh, and it has rained since then, and we haven't seen any signs of leaks. Mm-hmm. But you won't necessarily see leaks. Uh, Right off because the shingles can be broken or cracked from where they uh, right. where they stick yeah. and then deteriorate faster. Uh, so yeah, we're going to have somebody come and take a look. Yeah. But so far, so good. Mm-hmm. And also here in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you this afternoon? Oh, I am just spiffy. Spiffy. <laughs> spiffy. Spiffy. Okay. Uh, what's going on? Sp- <laughs> yeah. Spiff and A. Yeah. <laughs> any any uh, flying activity down there? And the- No, actually not, but I'm uh, gearing up for a quick trip on um, Wednesday, a little day trip. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, looking forward to that. But, uh, yeah, I, I've just been busy in a one-armed paper hanger. Uh, yeah, once again, we... Yeah, right. Literally was just simply exhausted last uh, over the weekend. Right. And, once again, we've scheduled this recording within hours of you finishing an episode, or episode, yeah. a, an issue of uh, of the Pretty magazine. Much, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, it's, it's been a fun few days. Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I have returned to high atop Lookout Point in Nottingham, New Hampshire, back from my trip to uh, Las Vegas, where... Uh, long but uneventful trip and uh, so anyway so back from las vegas and uh i'm uh, just kind of trying to get my act together before i turn around and go back to the west coast again it's well, a, so did you uh did, did, did you win at the tables i for the first time in all my trips to las vegas and i'm not a big gambler i was a big gambler when i was younger and got burned and kind of learned well um, you're only about five eight so. yeah exactly so uh so but but when i gamble these days i gamble like you know quarter slots things like that all right um that's not that's not gambling i know but the point of the story is that this time i didn't gamble a single nickel the entire time i was there i did not gamble i didn't put a any money down on any game at all, all right? And uh, partly because we were, we were just crazy busy. It was just, I mean, that's the way these projects work. Anyways, you know, pe- my last my last trip in Vegas worked out the same way. Uh, there never seemed to be a right time, yeah, and and a right frame of mind converge for me to sit down at a blackjack table. Uh, I mean, it's not like the casino and the hotel ever closed, uh, but I did. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is that, you know, because we're there working, I mean, it's not a vacation um, and we're working fairly long hours. By the time you're done, the last thing you want to do is spend more time on your feet. You, right. you just want to kind of go someplace and sit down, whether it's a bar or your bed, you know. That's why blackjack is so perfect. I guess so. But, yeah, I don't I'm not a blackjack player. And uh you know, never mind. You can count to 21, right? <laughs> aviation podcast, aviation podcast. Um 
So this is the story I was going to lead with because this is the the internet has been a buzz for the last well off and on for the last week or so with what is probably the oddest story the oddest aviation story that I have, we've come across in six years. Um, and speaking of drones, all right, this is the <laughs> one where the guy took his cat who died, his dead cat, all right, and turned it into a quadricopter. Have you seen this story? Have you seen yeah, this video? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, to the point of... <sighs> I know. Everybody's been talking about it. I mean, right. it's just become a big, big deal. Even outside of the aviation world, everybody's just going, oh, my gosh. Um, now, I have to confess up front, I actually haven't watched the video because the the notion just creeps me out. And so, Yeah, the whole thing creeps me out. Yeah. Too, and so, you know, <laughs> on one say, hand, I'm yeah. going... That's really creepy, but awesome. On the other hand, it's like, I really don't really want to watch this. The picture was like weird enough. All right. Was, yeah, I've, I've seen the stills from the video. Yeah. And it's like, that's all I need, really need to see. Yeah. So. And, and, and I, 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 I protest calling it an aviation story. Uh, yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I think that idea could get stuffed. Uh, it takes a dead cat bounce right from it. <laughs> I will. I, I, will. I, I, I just want to know. And we'll never know, of course, but I just want to know what Gordon Baxter would have said. Yeah, I know, really. Yeah, well, yeah, he would have had, yeah, I know, right. Um, I could see this showing up in, in there's a company that used to publish an aviation magazine, also published a magazine called Cat Fancier. Yeah. And I could see some cross-pollination for them if they were still in the same stable together. So to speak. Not, yeah, so. right. I know. Now, I, so just one postscript to this story that I want to call people's attention to. So like I said, I was creeped out by this story. I really didn't want, I knew we had to talk about it and mention it, but I really didn't want to have much to do with it because it's just too weird. It's just too weird. Um, but I came across an interview. So um, I, a, uh, a Canadian sounds like sort of the Canadian equivalent of all things considered. All right, it's sort of this uh, public radio interview show. Uh, got the guy who created, who both who both previously owned and then turned the cat into a helicopter, um, <laughs> and interviewed the guy. All right? Yeah, I know. All right, okay, get it over, get it out of your system. Uh, previously owned and then turned the cat into it. <laughs> all right anyways he used to be the cat's owner now he's the cat's pilot yes exactly anyways um i That's so the I, cattiest uh, thing i could say i listened to this i listened to this interview with the guy all right and it actually kind of makes turns it into a very human story all right it turns out this guy isn't creepy at all all right he's very friend he's an artist all right and so that's kind of explains half of the whole thing if you ask me all right um and uh and he wink, talks wink, nod, nod. he talks about why he does this and he talks about his feelings towards the cat and uh you know and and he says you know we, i mean I, you should listen to it all i want to say is that listening to the guy talk about it it kind of put it in a whole different context for me and although it's still a little creepy it's not like ugly creepy it's just oh, like no, I, I grokked his whole attitude yeah, the first I time i read yeah. the story of yeah. It didn't hit hit me as creepy at all. The react it, there was the reaction to it that kind of struck me as you people kidding. I mean, Roy Rogers stuffed freaking trigger for Pete's really? sake. 
I mean, so the guy stuffs his cat and turns it into a quadricopter. Uh, we don't have video of Trigger. No. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> we don't know what Roy and Dale and Trigger were doing after hours. Yeah, I know, really. But, uh, yeah, so the guy uh, – so We'll put a link or, – or Jeff will put a link in the show notes to this uh, – to all the elements of this story, but including the uh, CBC's uh, As It Happens report uh, and uh, – you know, it, it was a very kind of almost sweet story where the guy talks about this cat that got killed by a car crash and he, he wanted to preserve it. And he normally would have done by just just plain stuffing now, the cat. The, the but, story that would have gotten my attention if, if the story had come out that a guy flying the stuffed dead cat helicopter version of his former pet had used it to launch a missile attack at the car that ran over it yeah, well there's that now, right? now yeah. you'd be now now i'd be man that, that would be open up another one i want to hear this yeah so all right anyways i've belabored this enough uh <laughs> we'll put all these links or jeff will put all these links in the show notes and and if you're at all curious you ought to go uh, track it all down especially the i, I am curious the whether the whether the blades are counter-rotating I don't know what that means. There was some talk about attaching a piece of buttered toast to the top of the quadricopter. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know exactly where they're going to go with that. Uh, the other the other bizarre story that we didn't get to prior to the intro was, uh, David, what's this about a helicopter and people jumping off of helicopters? And I don't know what the story is. Well, it comes under the heading of how to get yourself a bust uh, in an aircraft. Uh, this was uh, brought to us by uh, the newschannel5.com website, which I think is uh, East Tennessee, near the knock. Well, it says Cookville, Tennessee. Uh-huh. Memorial Day, Dale Hollow Lake. Oh, I know where that is. On the Tennessee-Kentucky border. Uh, the guy is in a what looks like a Robinson R-44. He comes in and hovers low over a jet ski or something like that, lets guys climb on the skid. Then they hang from the skid, and he climbs up. I'm going to say the the story estimated 50 feet. I'm going to estimate closer to 90, the reason being that acceleration of gravity times uh, it timed out to about two and a half seconds. Uh, on a couple of the drops who were on the video. So you're falling two and a half seconds, and the guys are hitting the water feet first. Uh, Helicopters flying really close to boats and other floating objects and then dropping people from a a pretty large height for about 20 minutes, and it all got videotaped. And I've yet to hear whether the uh, uh, FAA and the Corps of Engineers have followed up on the investigation that said they were launching the Tuesday after Memorial Day. Uh, But that's one of those, okay, buzzing a pier, buzzing a lake, buzzing people in a boat. We all know those are no-nos. Hovering down, picking them up, and letting them drop off is somehow... Not a stupid pilot trick? Well, it may be a stupid pilot trip trick. Um, I'm not sure if, based on how you described it, it's against the law. I'm, is not, it? sure, I'm not sure the mere dropping of someone out of the aircraft is illegal. In yeah. this case, I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's skydiving. It's, it's not, you know. Well, it's, it's you, you can, the regs allow you to drop anything out of the airplane, out of the aircraft. Right, as long as it's uh, not as long unsafe. As, it doesn't, as long as it doesn't endanger anything right. or anybody. Yeah. And, you know, you could say that the, the, pers- the thing being dropped was in danger, but that's about it. Yeah. And the, and how, the about, cu- how, how about uh, horizontal and vertical clearances from... No, 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 no. don't get me wrong. 
Yeah. yeah. The, the, um, you're, yeah, you're just talking about the letting people drop right. off of it. Yeah. He, he's he's clearly got some explaining to do. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> David, to answer your question, and just maybe I'm playing devil's advocate here. All right, part of that was picking up and dropping. Well, picking up and dropping off a passenger. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean. All right, picking up a passenger. All right, you're allowed to come down and get close to things if you're landing and picking up a passenger. Um, and as he's far not, as kind of hovering to be close, landing to th- right next to the passenger. The passenger well, is supposed to be like off at a distance. Uh, and then- is there such a rule, really? Have you ever watched a helicopter land right next to the person it was going to pick up? Well, that's because it's smart, not necessarily against the law. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then as far as the hovering part, don't helicopters have different clearance rules? Helicopters are allowed to get closer, aren't they? I, you know, They don't have the same you know, 2,000-foot laterally person structure vessel they, kinds they, of they, rules. They don't? I don't know. Do they? I don't, no, they, no they, they have different rules. Let's yeah. go find them. Yeah, Ooh. Well, there's this new thing called the internet. Ah, yeah. Why don't you take advantage of that and look it up for us? So, normal it, takeoffs and landings are where you get to violate those rules most often. But helicopters, helicopters get to fly. No, no. Helicopters get to fly lower to the ground. They get to fly in less visibility. Um, I, I mean, I'm not saying I this guy isn't breaking they, the rules. I didn't think flying lower to the ground and and so forth gave them latitude to to fly closer to obstructions and and. People inside a thousand feet horizontally. Well, unless Jeb's, they were taking off and landing, or right. Well, in a minute, Jeb's hopefully going to tell us here. How you doing? Ahead. Any luck? I'm Jeb? working on it. I'm okay. On All right. Take your time. Um, except when necessary for takeoff or landing. Go ahead without me. Let me read this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll clean it up. I'll, I'll edit out the quiet parts, or not. Well, I like this. Channel News Channel 5 used the helicopter's tail number to track its owner. Its certification is currently terminated, the story said, but traces back to a Chattanooga company. Uh, Wait a minute. It's terminated as a result of this action, or it was no, already no, no. terminated? No, no, The record was already – it says it's certification. I'm betting it meant it's registration. Yeah. Uh, it's currently terminated. That is, the tail number was canceled or – yeah, right. I mean, there's any number of explanations. Well, it, what that. it was is there was a record I saw that was obviously not current, but it showed sale reported. And what I'm okay. thinking okay. is is a previous owner sold the aircraft to the present owner operator, and um, the owner operator either never filed the paperwork, uh. or there's some <laughs> other hiccup going on. Okay, I bet he files paperwork now. Well, he's got plenty of. I bet he, he gets a little bit more paperwork to file. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but here's here's FAR ninety one one nineteen minimum safe altitudes, um, A B C D. Um, so D says for helicopters. Well, let's let's let me back up. We have congested areas. We have other than congested areas and. Um, Congested area, altitude of 1,000 feet above and 2,000 feet horizontal. Right. Uh, other than congested area, an altitude of 500 feet uh, and 500 feet from any person, vessel, vehicle, or structure. Right. We busted okay. that all then, to hell. Subsection, yeah, sub, busted, busted that all to hell. That, that one's done broken. Uh, but D says helicopters, right. powered parachutes, and weight shift control aircraft. If the operation is conducted without hazard to persons or property on the surface, yeah, one, a helicopter may be operated at less than the minimums prescribed above, 
pr- provided it, each person operating the helicopter complies with any routes or altitudes specifically prescribed for helicopters by the FAA. Okay, so that's basically the rule because this is uncontrolled airspace, literally and, and figuratively. Mm-hmm. This guy's right. operating in, but the the key phrase here is going to be. Um, if the operation is conducted without hazard to persons or property on the surface. Yeah. That's where it's going to get really squiggly really soon. Right. I would guess the FAA will charge him with violating that as well as careless and reckless. Yeah. And um, they'll have to go to to a real court uh, to get that argued because the ALJs aren't going to back down from the FAA's position on right. that. Okay. So, well, all right. It could be argued also that... It was, in fact, an operation conducted without hazard to persons or property on the surface because no one was injured. No one was injured. Yeah. Okay. Yep, that's true. Yeah. Except so. David's sensibilities. You know. And, uh, <laughs> well, now we're not talking about, you know, whether this was the smartest thing right. that we've ever seen. Right. We were talking about whether or not it was legal. Yeah. So okay, David. Anything else you wanted? To, have we kind of we kind of we kind of blew I, I you off, David? Didn't we? All right, you're you're, you're still off, you're still outraged by this, long, right? Long time ago, my friend Ronnie Oakley from the uh, uh, Louisville Hang Gliding uh, Club taught me how to launch on toes at Dale Hollow Lake, and we went to great pains to make sure that we had a very wide, clear area free of boats and and people on the surface before we popped just a hang glider off the, the beach uh, behind a uh, ski boat. So, yeah, this kind of guy coming down with all those swirling blades right next to that little party boat, picking up people and then dropping them in, letting them drop themselves into the water fairly close to the party boat. I really couldn't give you a gauge on that. I kind of looked at that and went, Oh man, uh, I don't know if it's legal, but it sure looks dumb. Yes, <laughs> it's. It, I mean, come on, guys. Yeah, uh, it, it's not the smartest thing I've ever seen. There's, that's for sure. Right. Um, and you're no supposed ex- to register your aircraft. Yeah. Well, there's no excuse for you know if this was something that was prearranged, and everybody had been briefed on what was going to happen, and you know some T's were crossed and some I's were dotted. That's one thing. Okay, but if this is just, hey, I'm going to go hover over that group of people there and see if anybody wants to hop up on a skid so I can pick them up 100 feet and drop them, that's a little bit different. Yeah, somewhere in the middle is probably what happened. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, but yeah. you know, for for movies and and uh, for for other reasons, people do things like this with helicopters all the time. Uh, it's not in and of itself dangerous. It's riskier than sitting at home watching Fox News, barely. Um, but Physically. Yeah. I mean, there's a right way and a wrong way to do something like this. If this guy was doing it the right way, I'd kind of like to hear about it. Uh, but I, I suspect that probably wasn't the case. Yeah. So, well, we'll put in the show notes a, a link to the uh, nominating forms for the Darwin Awards. And, uh, you know, we'll... See how that goes. I, I imagine it sure was a rush for the guys letting go of that skid. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not to, not to mention having a helicopter hover over you and just climb into it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so um, I've, like I said, I was away in Las Vegas for two weeks, and things were pretty crazy for a while before that. And so I uh, just this morning picked up a, a small mountain of mail at the UCAP mailbox, uh, and. Uh, 
three very cool things appeared in our mail this morning. And I've sent you guys uh, some snapshots of some of them. And I want to kind of go over them real quickly, both to uh, thank the listeners and also to just kind of uh, uh, to review their coolness. Um, <laughs> the first one is a... Uh, uh, a, uh, we got a big flat cardboard, uh, you know, flattener package, you know, for usually for holding photos from listener uh, Max S. Um, oh, by the way, I should say that when I picked up this mail, these three packages all are from Europe, basically Great Britain and Europe, which I think I even impressed my local post office guy because I had to go to the <laughs> counter. You know, it's like Royal Mail. Look at that. Ooh, Deutschland. You know, ah, cool. First one's from Max S. Uh, from uh, Hamburg, Germany. All right. Uh, he writes, uh, Dear Dave, Jack, and Jeb, I'm one of your longtime fans from Germany, private pilot SEP VFR, flying out of Hamburg International, EEDH. I always enjoy listening to your show and recently heard you talk about Bjorn Moorman from Belgium who flies to the Emirates out of Dubai. I jumped to Bjorn's website and found a beautiful picture of an Electra Junior that he photographed. Uh, he says, I believe at Sun and Fun. After getting in touch with Bjorn, um, I, we used his photo to do a promotional piece of it with various printing techniques since he worked, uh, he, this is, uh, Max says, we are a specialty print shop. And he says, as a little thank you, I'm sending you a copy, uh, three copies actually, one for each of you, of this limited production. Oh, um, cool. It's a That's very, a very cool picture. picture. And yeah. I've sent you guys a yeah. snapshot, which sort of gives you a flavor of it. What you can't tell from the snapshot is that, first of all, it's like about, about 11, by, 11 inches by 17 inches oh wow and and the the surface of the picture is actually kind of i don't know what the word is embossed or textured all right huh. so for example every rivet on the picture of the on the airplane is sort of raised a little bit you know and uh, the wow. the hub of the prop is a little bit raised and uh, um it's a very very cool picture and uh i will if i don't get them to you sooner i'll bring them with me to oshkosh and, oh no mail send those collect man okay send those yeah COD. yeah put all right it in a yeah. flat will do yeah will do it's very very Tube or, nice. or tube or, or preferably, well, I don't know. No, no I don't no, want to roll no. it. I'll flatten no, it somehow it. and no, send it no. your way. So a uh, very, very cool picture yeah. and uh, 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 very pleased that we were able to help uh, Max get in touch with uh, Bjorn. Um, I'm sorry, is it his name? Uh, yeah, Bjorn Mormon um, in Belgium. So that's very, very cool. So thank you to Max uh, for uh, sending these along. Very, very cool. Uh, he says, uh, so thank you for your ongoing efforts to talk about aviation. As a family father, you folks have kept my torch lit for the past years so that I will have a license available once I have more time for myself. Again, many greetings from Hamburg. Uh, Loth Wait a minute. What did Lothar I say his name was? Schleinbach. I yeah. think Max Sames is the company. Oh, you're right. Max Sames is the name of the company. I'm sorry. Oh, Lothar. I'm very, very sorry. I got confused yeah, yeah. here. Um, Lothar is the is the listener who sent this along. You're right. You're right, David. Max Sames is the name of the company. It's this very nice letterhead that it got sent on. So, uh, uh, very, very cool, Lothar. Thank you very, very much. So that and, was number. Your 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 printing and 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 embossing techniques just extraordinary. Uh, I love the print. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's and, off. Yeah. I, you know, I tried to send you guys as good a photo as I could, but uh, I'll send these actual, the actual items your way very, very soon. So that's number one. Number two is uh, from a listener, uh, Juan, Juan Delazar, uh, whose business card describes him as an, F as an FAA certified flight instructor, but is addresses United Kingdom. Uh, he writes, uh, here are some, uh, he says, Dear Jack, here are some VFR maps from southern England, northwest France, and Paris. 
uh, he says equivalent to a terminal chart. As you can see, the airspace is small in the UK and very congested. Some crazy rules. Uh, for example, he writes, you can be in the clouds without an IFR flight plan as long as you're outside controlled airspace, which I think is more or less the way it is here too, isn't it? Yeah. It is. um, he says there are gliders, lots of them, um, as it is the busiest glider center in the UK, uh, next, right next to the busiest business jet center, Farnborough. Transponders are also not mandatory. So on one hand, you have these enormous sectors around Heathrow and Gatwick, but outside them, there is no requirement to have a transponder, and you can legally fly in the clouds without talking to anybody. He then goes on to say, it's painful when people in the U.S. complain about the FAA. Send them over to Europe, and they will change their minds. Here, you pay for pretty much everything, not to mention $14 U.S. per gallon for Avgas, which is not even always available, he writes. I've done all my training, CFI, CFII, in California at Santa Monica, and people complain since there is a $3 US, $3 US landing charge. Here, you pay on average 50 to land on bumpy runways with virtually no services. Some places like Farnborough could charge you up to, it's up to 1000 for a small single. He says, so love the FAA. <laughs> Although I, I, get his, I get his intention here. It's, it's still a little hard to, to do, but uh, there are parts of the FAA we love. Parts, not so much. I, I love his line here in the last graph. Uh, yeah. Like somebody said yesterday at a briefing, quote, I wish the bloody French won the Olympics, close quote. I've heard that from some folks yeah. that I deal with yeah. regularly in the UK yeah. who uh, are London area residents. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's in his final paragraph. He goes on to talk. He says, the biggest pain will be in the Olympics. He says, see the attached leaflet. Uh, any flight must have a flight plan with approval code. Once airborne, you need to hover along with other planes to get a, yet another approval. And you may be denied takeoff since there will be a max of 120 planes accepted VFR at any time. Fighter jets, Apaches with machine guns, helicopters with snipers, uh, and uh, will meet you when you land. Um, are the current threats to those who bust any of the new Olympic airspace. Uh, like somebody said yesterday, yeah, right, I wish the bloody French won the Olympics. So restrictive, well, well, so unsafe, crowded and smaller airspace will be will be that I think the best thing is to leave the UK for that period. So uh, some interesting information. Yeah, he finally says, congratulations on uncontrolled airspace. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy listening to it when I'm in the car. Best regards, Juan. Thank you, Juan. These, uh, these and I don't know if partly maybe he sent this because I'm just I've said I'm a big map fan and and these are just awesome. Yeah. Um, I sent you guys a couple of quick snapshots, sort of what appears to be the uh, a French equivalent of what a sectional I would say. Right. Um, and uh, you know on one level it's just sort of slightly different uh, uh, you know graphics, but uh, very colorful, very lots of terrain and obviously a lot of airspace information and uh, nav aid information and obstructions information and that kind of thing. Um, and then there's a, a what appears to be a sort of a a, a Parisian uh, uh, Paris uh, I don't know class Bravo chart, right? Uh, and uh, that's very very interesting. And uh, uh, just you know, as a map guy, this is just awesome. I'm going to spend some time later on uh, going over these, and then uh, a big wall mount chart of the uh, aviation chart for what appears to be southern England and the north coast of France, including all of the English Channel, obviously. And uh, I'm going to have some fun uh, exploring I think this that map. Last picture is upside down. Yeah. Oh, did I send one upside down? Sorry. And and the but snapshot the of this that I sent you was only about a quarter of the actual wall chart. I mean, I didn't open it up all the way, but uh, um, again, I'll well, drag. 
Juan, you have you 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 have my empathy, my sympathy. I think it, in a lot of ways you're absolutely correct. And on the upside, at least I didn't see anything in here about drones. <laughs> yeah, well, um, <laughs> yeah. Thank the last you, item. Well, th- thank all. F- yeah, we haven't got to the third no, one yet. We got another here. To yeah, we got another one here. But yes. but before we move on from one, the last thing he sent me here is this uh, this brochure, this flyer, which apparently is sort of like the TFR. It's sort of like the Oshkosh Notum for the for the London Olympics or the right. UK Olympics, and uh, you know it's got a lot of information about procedures and what to do. You know, it says uh, non-transponder equipped aircraft. Circuits within restricted zone R1112, interceptions and emergencies, slot coordination, temporary controlled airspace. Uh, pretty interesting stuff, uh, you know. And I've heard this uh, from other sources that uh, that uh, the uh, the Olympics out there is just going to be a nightmare for everybody who's not involved with the Olympics. It's just too bad. But uh, um. And last but not least... We hear from our old friend uh, Brad Mazzari in uh, in uh, oh, yeah. in Germany. Um, this is the gentleman who, uh, a number of years ago, brought us a bunch of German chocolate, which he gave oh, to us great uh, at uh, at oh, I believe yeah. it was at Sun and Fun, um, or was it Oshkosh? I'm not, I'm not sure, Sun. but but I remember the chocolate very clearly. Yeah, um, and and he has sent us a a very large box of chocolate. I mean, I sent you guys a picture. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, he, he gave us maybe a dozen bars of chocolate once before, and he's given us probably three dozen this time. It's just quite a haul. And uh, he writes, uh, uh, Jack, I'm sorry for missing you at Sun and Fun. As an act of penance, please find some assorted chocolates from the next village over from where I live. Don't forget to share, he says. <laughs> I don't know what he thinks about me. About, you know, I, <laughs> well, it's on the record now. Yeah, I know. You he know, says, I'm so photographic evidence. I'm so looking forward to AirVenture and seeing a taping. I presumably means of, of uncontrolled airspace. Uh, he says, "You ready?" For, so, uh, this is now me speaking. Um, um, Brad is the one who is some sort of has some sort of relationship. I don't know if he's a consultant or an advisor or something with Pipistrel, and had been uh, doing booth duty with them, I believe, at Oshkosh last summer. And now he writes in this letter, he says, I'm holding a slot for Jeb, Dave, for you, Jeb and Dave, to fly the Alpha Trainer from Pipistrel. I'll so, take it. Yeah, we'll definitely yeah, take him up on that offer. Uh, hopefully it continues to be available. That would be great. Uh, on the uh, let's see, you know, on the on the news front, the stars are aligning that maybe I will be asked to fly one of the Pipistrel aircraft up from Texas to Oshkosh and back afterwards. What an adventure! He says I've already oh, ordered yeah. the notum. Yeah. Oh, good luck with that. Man. And he asks yeah. us to please announce the plans for the UCAP meetup, uh, and we already have, but we will in just a moment. He says. Uh, uh, Wait a minute. He says, also please enclosed, find an aluminum washer. This was handed to me at Aero Friedrichshafen. I thought it was a solid machine item, but I started picking it up with my fingernail and found it to be layers of aluminum bonded together. Uh, question for you, Cap. Why? Why bonded layers of foil instead of a single machined piece? I didn't find that. Actually, I just read that for the first time. Uh, you guys talk among yourselves. I'm going to look in the box here and see if I can find this thing. Among ourselves, among ourselves, among ourselves. Well, I remember working in steel that yeah. was uh, uh, steel plate that was uh-huh. actually multiple layers uh-huh. of thinner steel rolled together. Uh, and it had some unusual behavior characteristics. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's the key is the, the uh, uh, characteristics of the, of the results. Some special application that this is... 
this type of uh, uh, laminated washer is preferable. Well, it, it, the, the tensile that, strengths, that the shear strengths, the tensile strengths were the same. Uh, the shear strengths were pr- pretty close to the same, but it was slightly lighter uh-huh. than the same thickness of cold rolled or hot rolled single plate. Uh, you know, wasn't quite as dense, uh, kind of like us sometimes. Compressibility, and, uh, yeah. But it did take bending as well. Uh-huh. And if it started to corrode, uh, it could get pretty ugly pretty quickly. So you had to keep the surface protected because otherwise it start to corrode through the layers and the corrosion would go much faster than on the solid stock. Right, right. It was about money. I, well, it was a cheaper way to if, build, make the steel. Yeah, I wonder too if there's, you know, some, the way this is sandwiched together, it's more compressible and could function as, as you know, partially as a gasket. Oh, that's a good thought. Yeah, See, that makes some on, sense. Depending on the application. But I also wonder if maybe it's not some kind of promotional item, too. Yeah, I found it, and uh, we'll probably, I'll trim this down to make it a little tighter here. But let me uh, email these two. I just took two pictures of it. And let me, because this is, is interesting. This is not quite what I had pictured when he described huh. it in the, uh, so stand by a moment here while I do this here. Mm-hmm. Well, Brad, we're, we're making Jack divvy up the chocolate and ship it because I don't want to wait until after Oshkosh. That's right. And put it in, pack it in dry ice, too, will you? Yeah, okay. So it's cold when it gets here? <laughs> oh, yeah, all right, yeah. Uh, let's see now. Send. All right, hang on a second while these send. All right. It's here. Ah, interesting. Yeah, so it's already been oh, well, shredded, so all the pe- all the layers are separated. And and what I should point out in this picture is that the sort of base, so all the different layers have been separated in half of it and curled back, but the base layer, if you will, is thicker than all these little individual layers. So the base layer is, is you know, I don't know what that is, a sixteenth of an inch or something like that thick. Huh. And, and, and then each foil layer is very, very thin. That's an interesting piece. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. I, I can't begin to think what the application for that would be. Yeah. Um. How thick is the foil or the the layers? Each individual foil is is paper thin, thinner it's than like foil foil. Yeah, I mean it's like foil. It's thinner than paper, or it's like paper. It's very very thin. Huh. huh. Although, well, it, wait a minute. It's got, you know, the the base material clearly is stamped. Oh, you know what? They're uh, not all the same thickness though. Ah. There's like like a really thin one, and then a thicker one, and then three thin ones, and then a thicker one, and so it kind of mixed up a little bit here. It's like, you know what this is? What? You know what this? I know exactly what this is. This is uh, a Framus cam. <laughs> yeah, and you know I should have known that right away. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. Okay. Uh, anyways, uh, we'll you ponder get some this. Prop wash and clean it up. We'll ponder this a little more. I'll, I'll post these pictures into the forums. Maybe some of our listeners can come up with a, an answer too. Jack, you know, when you when you get off the podcast tonight and get everything settled down, you should go get some prop wash and clean this up a little bit. It'll, it'll come really. It'll, it'll clean really, really nice with some prop wash. Yeah, and while you're out, be sure and pick up some relative bearing grease too. Uh-huh. And go with it. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. Where were we? We must be getting close to the end of our allotted time, believe it or not. Let's pause here for a second, guys, and tell me. So oh, that's just wishful thinking. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta tell me what you definitely want to talk about. We're not going to get oh, through geez. three more items here. So uh, we'll, and we'll get to shutouts, but we won't get through three more items. So pick three items. What are we going to talk? Door, about? door, the door. I figured. We're talking got, about the door. Yeah, we'll talk about the door. Oh, what else? I adore that topic. You want to talk about the spin test oh. too? Yeah, that's one thing you guys yeah. mentioned from that yeah. we should have done from last week. Right? It was more timely last week. Yeah. I don't. I don't. We can talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about either one. Talk right. about the door. All right, hang um, on a second. Yeah, and anything else you don't want to skip? Talk about survival kit. I haven't read the thread. I think it's worth pointing out what Europe did with LSA standards, but that's that's a quick and All dirty. Right. Well, there we go. That's our four then. All right, hang on a second here. So we there kind of he was in the flight levels when. His eardrums pop. Yeah, well, this is we kind of we kind of skipped over the story. We kind of went off in a, on a tangent when we talked last week about the Canadair Bizjet that door. We almost came unhinged. Yeah, and uh, um, and and later between, on between the cat puns and the door puns, I don't know if we're going to make. I don't know. Episode yeah, right. But uh, so uh, Jeb, I think it was you who said you wanted to. There was a different direction you wanted to go when you posted yeah, this door it, thing. What? What? It, what? Well, the the whole. Concept, and we're not talking about you know certain famous episodes of Windows being open, but talking about doors coming open when they're not supposed to, just you know popping open, or windows just kind of popping open, and uh, <clears throat> it strikes me that uh, at least when I was coming up, that that was a common thing. Um, yeah. 60s, 70s era airplanes. Um, you know, beat to death as, as trainers or whatever else, and the doors pop open on them with great regularity. And I, I, I can't be the only one who's who's had that experience. And I'm just wondering what what your two, what, what your guys' uh, experiences are. Um, I've never had a door pop. Well, actually, that's not true. I had, well, when I was riding as a passenger in uh, Laminar's Cub, the door popped open, but it's a Cub, so the door is barely happened to you. The door is barely closed to begin with. But uh, um, <laughs> on a uh, on a now that's not fair. They closed completely. They just aren't exactly airtight. Yeah. So uh, there's some added stress on. I'll take a Cub ride anytime. Please do not misunderstand me. All right. Um, but it was different to have the door pop open. When when it was like 10 degrees outside and uh, oh, yeah. that that was interesting. Oh yeah, man, it must have gone from like freezing to sub-freezing in a second. Yeah, well, no, you know it actually wasn't <laughs> as cold as you might imagine. It wasn't as cold as I would have expected it to be. And and I was just so, you know, kind of like, okay, please Laminar, fly the you airplane. You were in the front seat. Don't no, I was in the back seat, all right? You were in the back seat? Yeah, I was in the back seat and uh, he was in the front si- seat and and he's messing with the door and I'm thinking to myself, please Laminar, just fly the airplane. Don't mess with the door and uh and but it was all fine um and I, but i eventually said you know i'm not really that c- c- cold fly the airplane please and uh, when you were getting when you were getting your your primary instruction jack yeah did your instructor never like do that to you he never actually popped a door we certainly talked about it and i i felt he never like never popped the door no then how did you practice no you didn't i i i didn't I mean, I just, you know, we talked about it, and I have a sense of what I would do. I've never had a door pop open on me. I've had the windows pop open in a, in a 152, but... Uh, so is Jeb. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, when, I was, when I was doing my primary, the, the airplane I was flying was a 150. And the, the, the uh, instructor side window had 
a a um, mean time between opening of about three hours. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so it would just, for no good reason, no apparent reason, it would just pop open. But it would do so about every three hours of training. Oh, that was the low it. fuel indication. <laughs> no, it, it's the it's the high it's the full bladder indication. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Same but, difference. Yeah, but so we're you know we'd be flying along, I'd be getting dual, and the w- window would pop up, and ah, it does that every now. And then. The window or the door? The window. Okay. The, yeah. The, the instructor side window. Okay. Yep. So it took me uh, a little over nine hours to solo. And I, I'm out doing my touch and goes, okay? First time I've done this, you know, without uh, a human beside me. And I do the third one, and I, I do third, uh, I'm sorry, the second landing, and I lift off. And as, as you know, 150, some, some 172s, it's, it's easy for the, uh, the tires to get out of balance sometimes, mm-hmm. especially when you're doing a lot of landings. Right. And, you know, maybe slam on the brakes or something like that. You flat spot them. Anyway, they get a little uneven. Well, lift it off, and of course the the tires are vibrating. You know, as, as they as they as they wind down from from leaving the runway, and of course the window on the opposite side of the airplane pops open. Right. Of course, you, you knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So okay, so I've got I've got two hands, and I've got three things that need a hand on them. I've got the yoke. I've got right. the throttle, yep. and I've got the window. Right. So what are you going to do? Uh, I know what I would do. What did you do? I left the window alone. Exactly right. That's what I would do, and, too. And kept my hand on the, kept one hand on the throttle and my left hand on the yoke and climbed out to where I was at a safe altitude. Right. And this is what I was uh, begging and, Laminar to do. Right? Yeah. And <laughs> then re- reached over and, and you know brought the, the window shut. Yeah. Went ahead and landed without any, any further drama. And I get, I pull up next to the instructor, and he's still laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, window popped open on you, didn't it? <sighs> but, well, it's, uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, good it training It happened experience. to me in the Cherokee we used to have. It happened uh-huh. once in the Comanche, uh, two or three times in 150s and 172s. Uh-huh. And the interesting thing about them was that you had – twice as many options for the doors to pop open on those Cessnas. You only had one on the Piper. Right, right. There's only one door. It's like there's only one chance in Jeb's Debbie. There's only one door. Uh, Not counting the luggage door, which if that pop opened on you, well, that's a whole different ball of wax. You've got a whole different set of problems with that pop. Uh, But on the Cessnas, it was double your chances in... uh, if it was a 150 and the pilot's door popped open, uh, my instructor recommended I reach over and unlatch the other door, too, just so it'd fly straight until I could get it on the ground. He was joking, but mm-hmm. he thought it was funny. Yeah, well, yeah, I know. Um, yeah, no, I never, I've never, I can't What's recall. the first rule? What's the first rule? Fly the airplane. Fly the airplane. Yeah. Fly the airplane. Now, we went through this whole drill. My primary flight instructor uh, did this to me uh, unexpectedly uh, three or four times between when we started and when I passed my check ride. Yeah. Uh, and there was a whole drill. Uh, and I was required to, as I did it, to say the steps out loud, which later on when I was by myself and had this happen, I continued to do. Mm-hmm. And, and it was helpful. I bet. As, Door would pop open. I'd say, doors popped open. Fly the airplane, level, 
trim, slow to below 100 knots, open up the window on the pilot side, reach over, pull the door shut, hit the latch a second time, close the pilot's window, and proceed. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, that was it. That uh, I've, was heard, it. I've heard people uh, recount door openings where they were just plain unable to get it closed in flight because of the air pressure. That was part of the open up the pilot side window. Right, and that works, huh? It that helps. helped. Yeah. And slowing down to below 100 knots. That also uh, makes sense, yep. Yeah, uh, my, uh, my instructor recommended us slow down to pattern speed. Wherever I was, slow down to pattern speed, which in that particular airplane was about 75 knots. So you get it down to 75 knots, open up the little vent window on the pilot side, uh, just let go of the yoke. If it's trimmed, it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if the throttle's locked, it's going to just steam along as it is and reach over and with nothing more than body weight behind it, slam the little sucker shut. Yeah. Get think- the latch, close the window. Yeah. I think I'd be interested to hear from listeners. We should start a thread in the forums about, uh, you know, in-flight door openings and, and window openings, I guess, and uh, hear what, what experiences people have had. Um, well, now, I did see a guy once lose half of his cowling on takeoff, and that was really interesting to watch. Yeah, I bet. Because it initially flopped open and blocked part of his windscreen, and then it left altogether. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and did it contact any other part of the airplane as it was leaving? Just the windshield. Okay. Bad Just enough, but at least it didn't What airplane was that? It was a, uh, uh, a uh, Saratoga? Seneca? No, not a Seneca. That's a twin. It was a big single, but huh. thick gear. I, I, I guess they'd call it a Cherokee, you know, the, the Cherokee, Cherokee 6. Sir? It was basically the huh. Cherokee 6 airframe. Right. Yeah. I mean, I told the story on the podcast before about a time Buddy and I were, were, were climbing out of, I want to say it was Pier, South Dakota, but uh, we were climbing out uh, in his arrow when we suddenly realized that the oil filler door was still open. And, and then we both looked to each other and said, did you put the dipstick back in? I don't remember. <laughs> did you? And oh, we had a little moment where we uh, went, oh, my goodness, did did. And I know you shouldn't even – it's a long story, and I, I'll refer people back to a previous episode. Um, turns out we did put the oil cap, oil filler stick back in, but uh, but we had a little moment, and we turned around and went back and landed. Um, but no doors. Yeah, you want to do that. That's going to screw up your cooling anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyways. All right. Well, does that cover the door thing? And we should do a forums thread. Well, I'll start a forums thread about uh, door opening, door and window openings in flight. Well, and, how, you know, whether you've experienced it, did you ever train for it? And if so, how did you train for it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll do that in forums. And, we'll, if you, and if you did experience it, what did you do? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I um, bet it didn't come off. Yeah. Yeah, really. That was, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, and which door was this, by the way? Was this the cabin entrance door? Was this uh, the hellhole door? Which door was this? Uh, uh, if it's a if it's a Challenger or Global, uh, the only holes on it are the uh, the cabin door and the emergency exits. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the cabin door on it is one of those. It, it doubles as a stair. So it's listeners, the bottom, so. listeners, check out the forums or just send us email at uh, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Uh, about There's two- a big over center lever on those doors, too. 
Yeah. It, it rotates latches and all that stuff. Something bad went wrong there. Mm-hmm. A couple but weeks ago, eardrums pop. A couple weeks ago, uh, the folks making building the Icon A5 aircraft um, uh, received a, what I guess is a somewhat odd certification, and have now published a video uh, kind of explaining this whole spin resistance certification and thing. Um, and I, one of you guys asked that we come back to this story this week. Which one of you was it, David? Maybe. I think it was both of us. Yeah. What What's significant about this to you guys? Well, first of all, um, spin resistant is not the same thing as spin proof. Yeah, I I can't. In my view, there's no such I, I thing as spin proof, right? I, well, I, I the characteristics of the airplane are really good. Um, they put a 150. I guess it was a 150. Um, in formation with it, stalled the 150. You know, they they were both trying to to come back to the same pitch attitude and the same deceleration, et cetera, et cetera, at the same time so that uh, the video would be you know, conclusive. Um, it's clear from the video if, in fact, the, the A5 was being flown as the, in the same fashion as the 150, that the A5 has far better stall characteristics, stall and low speed characteristics mm-hmm. than the 150. That's not to say you can't spin it. I'll bet you I could spin it. Um, but... Um, from what that video shows, it's it's very good low handling characteristics, but it's not going to be spin proof. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I, I and I agree. They're kind of you know, I mean, it seems like you said it seems like they've done some good things in improving the you know reliability, if you will, of of the aircraft. But uh, for them to characterize it as you know in any way shape or form is spin proof is is you know and and not to you know keep i keep mentioning laminar but he posted a thing in the forums back when this first came out where he was just adamant that this is just a bad bad attitude to have to think in terms of something being spin proof or even well, spin resistant spin resistance is you know is what they're what they're what they're pushing here that it's spin resistant and that you know that's that's completely different than spin proof, for one thing. Uh, I don't think there is anything that's spin proof. It, yeah. I think there's just things that they hadn't found yet what would make it spin. Right. Uh, but the Cirrus SR20 SR22, uh, they were able to avoid some spin testing because of the parachute. Uh, but that design is also spin resistant. That doesn't mean that it won't spin. But you got to work damned hard if if you're going to get it in. Well, a couple of couple of things. Um, and the Cirrus is a great example. I was going to talk a little bit about it on the, in this context also. First of all, is my recollection that the Clap Myers put the the airframe parachute as an air as a design parameter uh, up front before they started cutting fabric. So the air plane was going to have a parachute. The question was, were they going to get credit for it from the FAA? Um, and they did, in fact, get credit for it. The spin recovery uh, methodology in the Cirrus is to pull the red handle. Um, that's also to say that the airplane is very spinnable, or it is spinnable. It's, it's a matter of whether it's certificated to spin. Uh, and whether you're outside the, the, the known the, the certification uh, parameters, outside the, the envelope. Um, but the other thing going on here is 
if you remember back 10 years ago when Cirruses were first hitting the market, a lot of people were very concerned that um, some people who perhaps shouldn't uh, didn't have the experience uh, in a high-performance single that they might have otherwise had to fly, say, a Bonanza or a Centurion or something like that, um, were going out and they'd get themselves into a pickle and they'd pull the handle and it would write off some airframes. Um, there are, you know, anecdotally a couple of episodes where that may have happened in the in the ten plus years of Cirrus uh, uh, production and five thousand plus aircraft. Uh, but as a rule, that does not happen. Uh, other things happen uh, with the Cirrus, and we can talk about that sometime when we, if we want to. But um, s- spinning it or pulling the handle unnecessarily isn't one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Is that it, or is there more to that subject? Or uh... well, it's impressive what they've done with the little airplane, right? And, it is, and, and I and I grok what they're trying to do by demonstrating the airplane's resistance to uh, what can be a really ugly and deadly maneuver, right? Uh, and the fact that it's not really required by the certification, right. well, by yeah, the consensus approval, I should thank say. you. Yeah, that, that's, that's another thing that that kind of gets into a gray area. The FAA is not certifying this aircraft as spin-resistant because the certification basis for this aircraft is the LSA standards, consensus standards. And as long as it meets those consensus standards, it can be operated in the U.S. It's not a matter of the FAA approving it. It's just a matter of the way the regulations are written. So just because it, it apparently, and I, I have to, from, you know, it's a, it's a company-produced video, so I, I have to say apparently just because it appears to be spin resistant doesn't mean and, and just because they ran through the FAA prescribed test for spin resistance doesn't mean it's FAA approved to uh, be spin resistant okay right. yeah that's a uh, yeah that's an important distinction i guess yeah well um, the thing that the, the one thing that there we go i'm just i'm looking at this video again because i when they were in what looked like a fully a full nose up attitude I didn't always get a sense that there was full rudder applied, but that's how you get a spin okay. started. On you know, right? You stall the airplane, put the ball all to one side or the other. Right. And can you see that? Have they deflected their rudder all the way? Uh, it looks like in some of the camera, some of the tail camera uh, shots, that it starts to yaw around like they're getting full rudder deflection, mm-hmm. and they're definitely getting nose up attitude because the tufts on top of the wing. Well, start to separate. That was one of the things, and I, I did watch some of that video. The there wasn't that much separation, though. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, th- that separation is only at the trailing edge of that wing. Right. Well, that's the uh, the the, the thickest thickest part of the wing cord. That that flow is is still attached. Right. And, because that's uh, the that's, definition. That's of, impressive. Yeah, that's, that's the impressive. definition of not stalling. That's the well, definition. it's a definition of. Uh, it's a, of, it's of a not, ex, not exceeding the uh, critical angle. Right, of the track. right. That's, yeah, right. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, you know, there's a lot of ways to achieve that. You can um, do all kinds of things with the wing incidents. You can do all kinds of things with uh, the wing itself. But the really easiest and cheapest way to do that is to limit elevator authority. Right. That'll do it. Uh huh. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know how they did this. Um, 
I'd like to think that they did the engineering and and uh, put some time and effort into the wing and and uh, as well as angle of incidence and and you know a few other things here. Uh, at the end of the day, I'll bet you if we if we just stretched out that elevator authority a little bit more, we could spin this sucker easily. Well, if you if you look at the leading edges of the of the icons wing. Uh-huh. You'll see uh, characteristics similar to what we saw on the uh, Lancer, Columbia, and the and the Cirri, huh? which is two different leading edge radiuses uh, b- between the inboard portion of the span and the outboard portion of the span. Uh, it seems like there's a change in there, and it's really obvious from some angles and not so obvious from others. Yeah. And that can have yeah. a lot to do with it because it helped keep the outboard panels flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the inboard panels are, are are starting to stall out, and if you don't lose lift over the outboard portions of the wing, it's really hard for it to fully develop a spin. Exactly. Yeah. Um, David, real quickly, because we got a bunch of shoutouts I want to do, but uh, you so the Europe has recognized the USA LSA standard. Have I said that correctly? Is that what's happened? Yeah, that's that's essentially what's happened. They've adopted now their their certification process is not exactly the same as ours it is not done by consensus application alone like right it in is their case the united states in their case the government has actually done a they, yeah they're more involved yeah. but the government uh, the the uh, european aviation safety administration the the continent-wide version of the faa has basically embraced the uh, astm lsa standards that are in effect here in the united states and accepted by the faa uh, cool. Which is a good thing for the market because uh, now airplanes built here in the USA can, if they get through the application process uh, uh, with ESA, uh, be certified in, or be approved as light sport category aircraft in uh, the European uh, uh, Union without changes from the way they're built here in the States. And the uh, companies that import a lot of these aircraft into the United States can build one ver- version for both markets. Heretofore, they've been building an Americanized version for the LSA standards, which has been heavier and had different performance characteristics than what they were allowed to build and sell uh, for uh, the quote-unquote microlight standard that was in effect before this. So, right. yeah. yeah, that's a good move forward, and uh, it, it's, it's good to see happening, and it's going to broaden the uh, uh, market acceptance, I think, the availability, and maybe even help lower the price of some of these. Yeah, good deal, good deal. Shoutouts. Let's see now. You're going to jump way down on the uh, on the list here to find shoutouts. Um, I'll go first. Um, okay. This is a this is a, a mea culpa. Um, this is a shout out to the listener who said hi to me in the Palazzo Corridor one day. All right. This was the morning that we recorded the last episode. Uh, listeners uh, who heard that episode will remember that we recorded it at about six o'clock in the morning, Las Vegas time. <laughs> And uh, it was around 7.30 in the morning, and I was running a little late to get to my my day job. And so I was headed uh, out of the elevators and through the corridors at the Palazzo Hotel. And I'm walking down the corridor, and someone's walking in the opposite direction, and he says, he says, hi, Jack, how you doing? And so here's what I thought, right? We work with a fairly big crew of people when we do these events, and uh, and a lot of them are people I had never met before, and I work with just for this week. 
So when this person who I didn't recognize said hello to me, I just immediately thought that this is one of the crew members who I'd been working with, and he was saying good morning and hi. And so I said hi back and kept going because I thought, okay, I'll see him when we get onto the show floor a little bit later on. About three minutes later, I'm walking down the corridor. I'm thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense at all. And then it suddenly dawned on me, I bet that was a listener, all right, who recognized me, all right, weird as that may sound, all right, and was saying hi. And and we always say we like it when listeners say hi to us. And and I just felt awful. I wanted to, I mean, I almost turned around. I think, oh, but I'll never find the guy. He's gone on, and I don't know where he is. But I, 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 I you just... You weren't wearing a badge, were you? Uh I don't think I was. No, no, I don't think so. So, so my shout out is to this listener who said hi to me in the Palazzo corridor. I am so sorry. I didn't mean to blow you off. I, if I had realized that you were a UCAP listener, I would have been more than happy to be late to work, to stop and chat and say hi. And uh, I feel very, very bad. And, and if you would do me a favor, if you're listening to this, s- send me an email, all right? Uh, and, and tell me your name and tell me your situation. And I would love to chat with you at least online, all right? I, I felt awful. I really, you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, what a jerk. I blew this guy off and i didn't even mean to you know maybe maybe it's it's completely different maybe when this guy walked past you and said hi jack maybe he didn't even know you maybe what he was trying to do is take control of the hotel yeah maybe that's what it was (laughs) and and maybe by your you're ignoring him okay you just totally blowing him off he didn't know what to think about it and stopped and said, screw this, turned around and left the building. Yeah, I'm sure. And that's, didn't hijack the hotel. I'm sure that's what it was. Maybe you oh, saved no, the guy some, knows maybe, me. You, oh. maybe you saved untold numbers of lives. Yeah, well, I'm sure that happened anyways. But anyways, um, to this listener who said hi to me in the Palazzo corridor, my apologies. Please, please uh, uh, send me a note and say hi and let me say hi to back to you properly because I felt really bad. I still feel really bad. I hear I hear Carly Simon playing in the background. What's she playing? You're so vain. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I'd like to think that I'm not vain. That's why I didn't realize that it was a listener. I just thought it was some guy, you know, some <laughs> coworker. All right. If I was vain, I would have said, ooh, a listener, hmm, you know. Um, but uh, anyways, that's my first shout out. That's maybe my only shout out. Who's got another shout out? Oh, I'm trying to. Have, I'm trying to. Come on, there's a whole bunch here. David, you got a really good one here from uh, from Dead. Yeah, I want to shout out to Mike Hart, who uh, some of our listeners know from the uh, uh, Pilots Journey podcast, uh, and and Jeb uh, shouted out to last week because he was flying his Cub from the Southeast U.S. all the way back to Idaho. Mike passed through Wichita last week. Uh, Sadly, I was unable to accept his invitation to meet him at Dead Cow, but he stopped in Dead Cow anyway in his J3 looking for what's typically the cheapest fuel, the best price in fuel in the Wichita area, only to learn that they were out. But the leprechaun told him the fuel truck's supposed to be here in a few minutes, and we're getting ready to go to lunch, so why do you go to lunch with us? So the Dead Cow crew took my cart out to lunch, and lo and behold, and they wouldn't let him pay, and lo and behold, when they got back to Dead Cow, the tanker truck was there and just finishing up offloading its product into the uh, tanks at Dead Cow International. The leprechaun helped him tank up, and he was on his way on to north uh, West Kansas later that day. I heard from him the next day. Uh, shout out to my buddies at Dead Cow. I'll be down and visit you this week. 
And to my cart, uh, hope the rest of the flight went well. Yeah, very cool. Jeb, what do you got? All right. And Mike Bush, um, friend of the podcast, longtime uh, friend of mine, uh, uh, co-founder of AvWeb, uh, and also founder of the uh, Savvy Pilot uh, series, uh, seminar series, as well as the Savvy Aircraft Maintenance Management Company, which uh, uh, for a relatively cheap, uh, as far as aviation things go, fee will manage the maintenance of your airplane. Uh, is also starting up a new uh, free website called Savvy Analysis, which uh, anybody with a piston, well, I guess uh, other than piston engines too, but uh, uh, mainly piston engines, um, using an engine monitor that stores the data, can download that data, uh, or I should say upload it in this case, to uh, Savvy Analysis uh, and uh, free of charge, have it analyzed. Um, Mike is... Uh, as I mentioned, you know, not only a friend of the podcast and, and not only a consummate pilot, he's also a maintenance technician of the year a couple of years ago, recognized by the FAA. Uh, again, uh, um, worked with him. Uh, he's wrenched on my airplane. I've helped him wrench on his. Um, this is a great thing. This is a really cool thing. Sounds very um, cool. Yeah. 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 Um, so Mike, uh, Mike is a software guy. Right, uh, he's a computer. Right, yeah. Okay. He, he's. I think he's Dartmouth from the '60s. Software, math, and, and whatnot. He's done a lot of very interesting software things over the years, and I'm sure this is one of his pro- projects that he's 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 taken on. And knowing knowing Mike the way we got to know him back in the <laughs> AvWeb years, uh, he wouldn't put this out until he thought it was ready. Oh, no, no. I, I don't know anybody's going to be more critical and more. Uh, d- d- pencil neck about getting it right uh-huh. uh and i don't say that in a derogatory way about mike not by a long no. shot yeah no. it, it, it won't go public unless it's ready to go his name's on yeah. it and it's just yeah. not the way mike operates but if you've got uh, a data if you've got an engine monitor that uh, uh you know comes from jp instruments electronics international insight garmin avidine oracle uh you know that data is going to be uh, crunchable by savvyanalysis.com and i know if i had that kind of data access uh i would a couple of times a year want to make sure everything was humming along just right so particularly at the price i mean geez. oh yeah Especially yeah. at the price. So uh, hats off to my Yeah, and good luck to him. Um, as you mentioned, his long-standing website is SavvyAviator.com, and this new one is SavvyAnalysis.com. And the uh, guy's name is Mike Bush. Uh, what else? Anything? Uh, last one. Okay. New video. If, you have, if you're flying into Oshkosh for the first time this year, we know you already signed up to get the NOTAM. I have. I'm... I'm looking in the mailbox every day. The puppy ought to be along now soon. Uh, But uh, EAA also has a uh, kind of a video introduction to flying into AirVenture. Uh, The link will be on site. Uh, It's the product of some of the folks that put together the the NOTAM. Uh, Rick Paulette, an air traffic manager at the FAA Evansville uh, Control Tower, uh, that's in southern Indiana, and Fred Stadler, a volunteer pilot at uh, Pioneer Airport at Oshkosh. Uh, they use actual radio transmissions, uh, hints and tips about using the NOTAM, uh, and show you the arrivals through the wonders of Internet video. So, And if you've done it before, 
and haven't done it in a while, you might want to take a look at this puppy anyway. It's five whole minutes of your life to help make sure that you're on the beam when you come into Oshkosh next month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good stuff. That's it for me. Okay. Jeb, anything? Nothing. Okay. Then, uh, yeah, fork. Time to stick a fork in this one. First of all, thanks to uh, listeners Brad, Juan, and Lothar for uh, sending us the uh, pictures, the maps, and the chocolate. Uh, we're not done enjoying any of those. Mm, uh, chocolate. Chocolate. It's like a chocolate. huge, it's an astounding box full of chocolate here. I mean, it's like, he, he gave us a lot of chocolate last time. That was nothing. Um, so we're going to have to do something about this. But uh, thanks to them. We really appreciate it. Very, very kind of them. Very generous of them. Uh, one of those voices out there is Dave Higdon, who is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Anything you want to tell us about that you're working on, or where can people find you on the Internet? Well, I'm working on something that takes a look into the evolving and rapidly improving world of LED uh, illumination in the aircraft business. That'll be out in uh, August in a magazine that I'll name in July. <laughs> cool. And in general, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, uh, aea.net, aviationsafetymagazine.com, uh, and a couple other places where they don't publish my name because, frankly, they can't take the heat. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what's going on? Anything you can tell us about what you're working on or where can people well, find you I on think- the internet? Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, I'm, I'm once again basking in the glow of uh, having put another issue of Aviation Safety Magazine to get to bed. Um, oh, yeah. We did that last week, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Dave's got a piece in there. Amy's got a piece in there. Uh, I got a piece in there. Um, a couple of other pieces in there. It's it's a pretty good issue. Uh, happy with it. So uh, that's done. Um the uh, I mentioned also I think last week uh, Avionics News the uh, I guess July issue no June issue I'm sorry uh, June issue of um, AEA's uh, Avionics News uh, has a couple of articles in there for me a cover story and a follow up uh, very came out very nicely hats off to that crew and uh, looking forward to doing that again very cool very cool and and where in general can people find you on the internet. Oh, let's see. AviationSafetyMagazine.com, AEA.net. Sometimes uh, on AvWeb and personal website is uh, JEBurnside.com. Don't forget UncontrolledAirspace.com, too. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, you can check out my Kindle eBooks uh, on the Amazon.com website by going to uh, Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. Frantically working on getting Volume 2 of the Around the Field series finished prior to uh, going to Oshkosh. So hopefully that'll be up there uh, uh, in the next couple of weeks. So uh, that's kind of the big thing on my, my plate right now, as well as a bunch of UCAP things. More on that later on. And you can find me in general at Jack Hodgson and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes and for his work in the UCAP forums. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Roy Searle, Jim Goldman, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the uncontrolled air... All right. <laughs> As, as Robin Williams says, <laughs> easy, easy for you to rented say. lips. Uh, for information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled 
tip jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? Live long. Fly plenty, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. A-M-F-F-N. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.